is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Good Saturday morning, Dick Donahue with you. I am remote again today, sitting over in that parking garage, getting ready to go to the Vancouver, Oregon game. But uh, let's start out today talking with the weekly wrap for September 19th, or I'm sorry, for the last week of September. The month of September has been the worst performing month of the year historically for the stock market. Unfortunately, it is living up to that historical reputation this September. Following a 4.6% decline this week, the S&P 500 is down 6.6% for the month. The weakness has been reserved, hasn't been reserved for the S&P 500. It has been spread across the stock market and has been even more pronounced in other places. The NASDAQ declined 5.1% this week, is down 8% for the month. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 4% and is down 6.1% for the month. The S&P 500, or S&P Mid-Cap 400 Index dropped 5.9% this week and is down 7.9% for the month. And the Russell 2000 sank 6.8% this week and is down 8.9% for the month. The losses mounted this week in the stock market for a variety of reasons. Rising market rates were at the top of the list. The two-year note spiked 36 basis points, that would be 0.36%, to 4.21%, having hit 4.26% at its high of the week. And the 10-year note surged 25 basis points to 3.7%, having hit 3.82% at its high for the week. These moves were precipitated by central bank policy moves and a striking decision by the United Kingdom to announce the biggest tax cut in 50 years in order to stimulate growth, while the central bank tries to battle inflation with rising interest rates. The Fed was at the epicenter of the central bank decisions this week. The FOMC voted to raise target range for Fed funds rates by 75 basis points, that is about three quarters of one percent, to a range of three to three and a quarter percent. As many expected and said, it thinks ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. That view was cooperated in the summary of economic projections, which showed a median Fed funds rate at 4.4% for 22, up from 3.4% in June, and a median Fed funds rate at 4.6% for 23, up from 3.8% in June. The median rate for 23 is 3.9%, implying that there is unlikely will be a rate hike cut in 2023. And Fed Chair Powell worsened the market's mood at his press conference, noting that his main message was not changed since his Jackson's whole speech. Restoring price stability will require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautioned strongly against prematurely loosening policy. He added that he thinks the Fed will get to the 4.6% rate relatively quickly and that the moves by the Fed to 
get inflation back down to the 2% target will likely are likely to cause pain since the rate hikes will inevitably contribute to a weakening in the labor market. The Fed chair did not say if specifically, but if the price of getting inflation under control is a hard landing for the economy, then so be it. In fact, a hard landing for the economy was a prominent concern for market participants this week. It led to broad-based selling rooted in worries that there would soon be large cuts of two earnings estimates. Accordingly, there was a reticence to pay up for stocks and an inclination to take risk off the table. Losses for the S&P 500 range from 2.2% consumer staples to 9% for consumer discretionary. There was a trend of underperformance, however, in the more economically sensitive parts of the market. The consumer discretionary sector sells 7%. Real estate sector declined 6.4%. The material sectors decreased 5.7%. The financial sector sank 5.6%. And the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index uh, dropped 6%. Other central bank moves this week with 50 point basis points increases by the Bank of England, the Norges Bank, and the Bank of Indonesia. The Swiss National Bank, meanwhile, increases rate by 75 basis points to a half a percent. That exited a negative policy rate domain for the first time since 2015. The Bank of Japan busts the rate hike trend. It kept its key policy rate unchanged at minus one-tenth of one percent, and Governor Kuroda said that the bank does not expect to raise rates soon, hoping to fend off a further weakening in the yen. Japan's Ministry of Finance intervened to support the yen for the first time since 1998. The move was met with limited success given the exorbitant interest rate differences, a differential that uh, remains between the Bank of Japan and many other central banks, namely the Fed. The British pound was another hot spot in the currency market. GDP, GDP, GDP and U.S. dollar plummeted 3.5% on Friday to 1.0856, hitting a 37-year low. The traders did not take kindly to the United Kingdom's fiscal stimulus plan, understanding that it will require the issuance of more debt. And for the week, the U.S. dollar index surged 3% to 113.04. There was no surge for the stock market, however. On Friday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average took out uh, its June low at 29,653.29, and the S&P 500 traded below its June closing low of 3,666.77, while managed to hold above the interday low of June 17th of 3,636.87. On a related note, Goldman Sachs cut its year-end price target for the S&P 500 to 3,600 from 4,300 and said it sees less downside potential and said it sees downside potential of 3,150 in the event of a hard landing. That was one more item weighing on the investor sentiment on Friday, and it helped to round out another losing week for the market. So year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down 18.6%. The NASDAQ index is down 30.5%. The S&P 500 down 22.5%. And the Russell 2000 is down 25.3%. And looking at some of our high-frequency data that we follow every week, 
we saw that initial jobless claims the weekend of September 16th were 213,000. That was an increase of 2.4% over the previous week. Continuing jobless claims, or it says September 9th, 1,379,000. That was an that was an improvement of 1.6%. Uh, box office receipts for the weekend, September 22nd, were down, up 6.2%. Rail car traffic, as of the 16th of September, actually increased 5.7%. Steel production, as of the 19th of September, was down 1.7. Hotel occupancy, a big increase as of the 17th of September, almost 69.6%. That is equal to where it was back in 2019 at this stage, and that was actually a 12.8% increase in one week. The uh, operational state of the restaurant industry as of September 22nd actually saw an additional increase of 1.4%. TSA checkpoint data uh, as of September 22nd, 2 million. 157,410 passengers a day were going through the TSA checkpoints. That was an increase of 2.7%. Supply of motor gasoline in the U.S. Uh, was, was down about 2%. And the global commercial flights, uh, as of September 26, uh, 107,746 a day, that was a drop of one-tenth of 1%. Take down to you with you with Wolf Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for being with us. DeWard and Bodie's three-day sale is on now through Sunday at all three locations in Bellingham and Burlington. Save big on appliances, mattresses, and barbecues this weekend and choose from DeWard and Bodie's best three offers for three days only. Choose to have DeWard and Bodie pay your sales tax on select in-stock appliances and mattresses $7.99 and up. Or get delivery on DeWard and Bodie with qualifying orders $7.99 and up. Or choose no down payments and no interest financing up to 18 months on qualifying appliances and up to 72 months on qualifying mattresses. Score one of DeWard and Bodie's best three deals during their three-day sale and save on the largest selection of name-brand refrigerators, freezers, laundry sets, gas and electric stoves and cooktops, dishwashers, and more. Experience their massive mattress showroom and take home massive savings on clearance and closeout mattress sets. Don't miss DeWard and Bodie's three-day sale happening now through Sunday at all three locations in Bellingham and Burlington. Offer qualifications and restrictions apply financing AC. For quality done right, call Han Coop Gravel. They use state-of-the-art technology to get your job done in a timely, accurate, and economical way. For projects as small as refreshing the driveway and as large as a multi-million dollar builder-ready plat development. Their services include multi-unit site preparation, fire line installation, drainage systems, house foundations, and more. They'll do custom projects too, turning your dream idea into a reality. If you need site work, you need the team at Han Coop Gravel in Linden or at Honkoop.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up. 
Factor will wake up live to County Union this Saturday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We're located out on the Pacific Highway out in Ferndale, or about halfway to Ferndale, just north of the Slater Road on the right is Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, well, Seattle Mariner season is coming to a close, which hopefully they'll make it into the playoffs. I think with their current edge, they have a pretty good shot at it. Got to win a few games, but uh, they're home again this next week. And I've got my four tickets and a parking pass available for Wednesday's game, which is against Texas, which is 6:40 at night, and Thursday's game against Texas, which is also 6:40 at night. And then next Monday, the third of October, the Detroit game is 6:40 p.m. And then a day game against Detroit, the last game of the regular season, at 1.10 p.m. And um, so that's next Wednesday, next Thursday, a week from Monday, and a week from Wednesday. If you're interested in those four tickets and a parking pass, give us a call at 360-733-1200. I'll get back to you on Monday, and uh, we'll get them set up for you. So uh, anyway, four Mariners tickets and a parking pass. Let's talk a little bit about what happens or how defensive sectors of the market have fared during periods of elevated inflation in the past. Uh, Year-to-date, and this was up to the 16th of September when this information was put together, the S&P index at that time was down about 18% on a total return basis. As I said a few minutes ago, it's now down over 21, 22. The question is, could robust inflation and rising interest rates poise even more of a threat to the broader stock market, it, 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 meaning the S&P index, if it were sustained? So we went back and we looked since 1990, and there were those calendar years where inflation, as measured by the Consumer Price Index, rose by 3% or more on a trailing 12-month basis. Why 3%? Well, from 1926 to 2021, the average CPI rate was actually 3%, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So for comparative persons, we selected three defensive sectors, healthcare, consumer staples, and utilities, to see how their returns matched up with those of the S&P 500 index. The premise being that defensive sectors tend to be less cyclical in nature than their counterparts, and they can potentially offer investors better performance results in volatile markets. And typically that, in this case, is many of your value stocks, which also do pay dividends. And we are are seeing that happen in this current down market. Value stocks as a whole have been doing a much better job than their growth uh, uh, components. So anyway... um, the defensive sectors posed, like say, good showing, and all three outperformed the broader market, and that was in 1990, 2000, 2007, and 2011. And while all three of the defensive sectors were outperforming the S&P index so far this year, healthcare consumer staples have significantly lagged behind utilities. But from December 29th of 1989 through September 16th of this year, 
The average, average annualized return posted by those four equity indexes is where as follows. 11.7% for the S&P 500 in healthcare index, 10.56% for the S&P consumer staples, 9.85% for the S&P. So both consumer staples and healthcare outperformed the S&P over that period of time. That would again from December of 89 through June or through September 16th of this year, and it was 9.7%. For the S&P 500 utilities index, and that data came out according to Bloomberg. So once again, we're seeing that typically those uh, uh, indexes that, or those 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 types of assets that are paying dividends are typically going to do better during inflationary times. Also, saw a report come out this week I thought was interesting. It talks about the fact that we can normally expect better returns after upcoming elections and that, um, you know, we're saying, hey, we may be destined to endure a volatile 22, but there were two examinations of the effect that midterm elections can have on equity markets, one by Carson Group, which I'm affiliated with, and one by Capital Group, which would be the American funds out of Los Angeles. And they show that even without inflation, interest rates and the war in Ukraine, Investors probably were in for a bumpy ride this year. Mid-term election years historically have been quite volatile. The average pullback is 17.1% peak to trough. So we knew that coming into the year, and this is according to Ryan Dietrich, who is the chief market strategist for Carson Group back in Omaha. And according to the Wall Street Journal, the equity markets have already uh, near average of 17.3% decline through August. So average pullback is 17.1, where actually as of this date, uh, at that time, back, it was 17.3%. So the good news is what happens at the tail end of the year and beyond. Once you get to the midterms of the election, if you go one year out from the low, stocks have always, point is, always gone up since World War II. And sometimes significantly, according to Dietrich Research, a year from the average decline of 17.1 saw the sweep reversal with an average gain of 32.3%. So average during a, going into a midterm election, down 17.1 before the election, following the election, almost an average every time, but an average of 32.3% return. So both Carson Group and Capital Group, which is in, it is the headquarter in Los Angeles, looked at equity market returns in the midterm year, the year following, and then through the lens of how unified Washington, D.C. was. Their methodologies differed in terms of which years that they included in their data. Um, uh, 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 see, huh, lost my place here. Um, in their data as in terms of how granular they got in crunching some of the results. Regardless of where the two methodologies diverge, both Carson Group and Capital Group agree that the year following the year of the midterm election saw an average return of the S&P between 14 and 15% respectively, compared with a 7.1% for all other years that could have had, and that which we think could be good news for next year. Another side of volatility in the midterm election year is the game of movable chairs played in the House and Senate. 
Commonly, the party of the president loses seats in both branches of Congress. But surprisingly, that has had less impact on returns than investors might think, both sets of researchers found. The Castle Group's research found strong returns the year following the election when there was a unified government where both branches of Congress and the president were from the same party, about a 10.4% return, and with the split Congress at 10%. And the Oval Office and the Congress, held by different parties, realized the lowest returns, 7.4%, still well within positive territory. So it basically, they said there's nothing wrong with wanting your preferred candidate to win, but investors can run into trouble if they place too much importance on election results. That's because historically, elections have had little impact on long-term investment returns. In 2020, many investors feared the blue wave scenario or Democratic sweep. But despite these concerns, the S&P 500 rose 42% in the 14 months following the 2020 election. And while conventional wisdom would think that a president of one party and a Congress another would be volatility, uh, would be a volatility inducing quagmire, the numbers say just the opposite. When we looked at stock market performance based on the party makeup in Washington, D.C., we found that the most profitable combination of all was a Democratic president with a Republican Congress. In that scenario, the S&P 500 produced an annual return of 16.3% following the election. A Democratic president will split Congress with a split Congress, yielded a return of 13.6%. That's almost 3% less. While the weakest combination was a Democratic Congress, bringing in a 10.1% return. Meanwhile, a Republican president with a Democratic Congress only yielded a 4.9% return, with a Republican Congress a 6.7% return, both far below what a Democratic president saw. But equity returns under a Republican president and a split Congress did as well as under a Democratic president in the same circumstances, about 13.7%. So midterm elections are very important for a lot of reasons, according to Dieter. But the best part for investors is once the election is over, Stocks do tend to get a nice tailwind. So I guess we'll have to wait to see what happens this year. But Dick Donahue with you with both Wake Up Live and KGMI. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Steve, co-host of In the Shop, Saturdays from 9 to 10 on KGMI 790. I own Panacea Automotive Repair. Did you know that the definition of panacea is a remedy for all ills or difficulties, a cure-all? At Panacea, honesty is our priority. We won't sell you products you don't need or do repairs that aren't necessary. We understand the necessity of a good working relationship, so we take pride in giving our clients quality service. Panacea Auto Repair, service you can trust on Britain Road behind Iron Man Movers or at PanaceaAuto.com. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24-7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. What does your dream getaway have? Luxury hotel rooms, elegant suites, and relaxing spa? We've got that. World-class Wine Spectator Award-winning steakhouse? We've got that. Washington's premier golf destination? We've got that. How about the newest slots, table games, and exciting promotions? Oh, yeah, we've got those, too. 
Visit Silver Reef Casino Resort and hit the getaway jackpot. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over 18 in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic. And together with PSC Foundation, gave $4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSC continues to lead on clean energy, with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at psc.com together. Whatcom County and Northwest Washington offer endless beauty, and our phones make it possible for us to capture it instantly. And now KGMI is giving you another way to share your incredible pictures with Whatcom Wanderings. Just go to KGMI.com, look for Whatcom Wanderings, post your photos, and tell us where you took them. So share your pictures of our area's incredible beauty and complexity with Whatcom Wanderings at KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. A properly operating furnace will guarantee that you stay comfortable as the seasons change. Contact West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electric for a system inspection today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. A half million Canadians are now in the dark from Hurricane Fiona. John Lohr is Nova Scotia's Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. All of our municipalities would have emergency measure response plans. So there's an activation of that. There's been an emergency alert issued for our people. We're getting the message out to Nova Scotians what they need to do. The Weather Channel's Kelly Cass tells us Tropical Storm Ian has formed in the Caribbean, could strengthen into a hurricane and hit Florida. Just about all of Florida is in that forecast cone. Now, remember, the forecast cone is the prediction for the center of the storm. And, of course, preparation should be done now because we do think the storm will start to impact places like the Keys as we head towards Monday. More evidence of human rights violations in Ukraine. More bodies have been discovered in an eastern town. CBS's Kemi McCormick. Their claims come on the same day U.N. investigators said they've uncovered war crimes on a massive scale in Ukraine. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacy Lynn. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Saturday morning. As I indicated earlier, I'm sitting in my car in the parking garage over in Coleman, uh, waiting to go to this duck game at 1 o'clock. And doing this, and because I'm in this parking garage, there's tailgate parties going around outside, and so I'm sitting here with my windows up and uh, sun shining in, and it's getting kind of like a sauna in here, but uh, we're going to make her for it. Anyway, let's talk about charitable giving, and basically what we're seeing, according to Fidelity, a study that they did, is that charitable giving isn't falling despite the growing economic worries that we have. And the majority of charitable donors plan to up their donations this year, even in face of deteriorating economic conditions. The nature's largest grant maker, which happens to be Fidelity, uh, Tuesday released data showing the significant concern that contributors feel about the nation's economy this year. About three-quarters of the donors said that they are worried 
about others in their communities and their ability to weather an economic downturn, according to the report. 64% of the respondents re revealed that they're unnerved by the current funding levels of nonprofit organizations. And as a result, 59% said that they're considering giving more to charity this year. The results also showed that donors aren't just using their donor advice funds to repeatedly support the same charities. In fact, 57% of them said that they've used their accounts to respond to an emergency, such as a natural disaster or a humanitarian crisis. Donor advice funds uh, offer some tax advantages that can't be matched by simply writing a check. Using a donor advice fund, investors are able to earmark money for charitable donations and then grow those funds while deciding where to grant the money. Uh, the, the flexibility enables donors to increase their giving. For example, according to the study, 67% of the donors said that they're giving more to charity than they would have without their donor advice fund. Furthermore, half of that group said that they can't don can donate more because they're able to give what they want without having to think about where the money will come from. Generally speaking, the study showed that 40% of millennial donors established a, a donor advice fund to set aside money for giving and to make giving a greater priority in their lives compared to 25% of Gen Xers and 20% of baby boomers. The survey was with 969 um, charitable donors, which was conducted in July and August. It was designed to better understand how donors are approaching charitable giving in light of those recent market conditions that we are all well aware of. Okay, well, my good friend Ed Swat this week came out with some information talking about taking RMDs and one uh, one thing a person may want to do, especially with the markets down like they are, is instead of taking their RMDs out of cash, maybe we want to take it out of stock. So. Let's talk about that a little bit, you know, because once again, you know, we may be worried about taking required distribution while the markets are in turmoil. This happened in 2008 and 2009, again in 2020. In response to the 2008 market crash, Congress waived RMDs for 2009. They did it again for RMDs in 2020 in response to COVID and the resulting market decline. We have not seen anything happen in that nature yet. Uh, Congress seems to like waiving the R&Ds as a fix when the market falls. The waiver is very popular with constituents, and Congress likes that too. But waiving R&Ds mostly helps those who don't need the help. When the IRS proposed changing the life expectancy tables used to calculate R&Ds, which became effective this year, the, uh, it estimated that about 20% of those subject to R&Ds take the minimum because they must. That group doesn't need the RMD funds. The other 80% take more than the minimum because they need the funds. So waiving RMDs for this group doesn't help them since they will need to withdraw the funds from their individual retirement accounts for their needed income. But from the IRS proposed regulations of November 7th of 2019, using confidential tax return data, the Treasury Department estimates that roughly 4.6 million individuals, or about 20.5% of all individuals required to take RMDs from an effective retirement plan, will make withdrawals at the minimum level required in 2021. And that 
<coughs> that might re reduce withdrawals as a result of the rule change in the tables. The other reason Congress raised RMDs when markets fall is that they hear the screams from their constituents that if the value of their individual retirement accounts decreases, they're going to be forced to sell stocks or funds in their IRAs at low values. Congress believes this and then waives RMDs, and, but this is not true. We're already hearing this alarm bell, but you don't have to sell stocks in an IRA in order to take your RMDs. Most people shouldn't have all the IRA funds and stock holdings. They should be enough liquid cash in the IRA to use for RMDs. But also RMDs are a relatively small percentage for most IRA owners. For example, when RMDs began at age begin at age 72, the RMD factor is 27.4 years, which means that you only need to withdraw 3.65%. However, an 80-year-old must withdraw 4.95%. And those lucky at 90 years old, they have to draw 8.2%. But let's say that we don't have enough liquid funds in the IRA to meet their RMD obligation. They still don't have to sell IRA stocks at low values. You know, instead of that, they can go ahead and use their stocks for funds without having to sell them. They can take the RMD amount in kind as stock by transferring the shares from the IRA to a regular taxable brokerage account. The stocks don't have to be sold. Let's say the amount of the RMD is $5,000. You can transfer $5,000 of XYZ stock to their non-IRA brokerage account. They'll owe tax on the $5,000 to satisfy their RMD, but if the stock isn't sold but transferred in kind, they're still holding the stock, but it's not in that IRA anymore. So basically what it means is we have to keep track of stock basis after that. So if you do take your RMDs of stock, though they must be kept track of the basis so you can accurately compute the gain or loss when the stocks are sold, any gains or losses that occurred while the stock was in the IRA are meaningless because there's no concept of gain or loss while funds in the IRA. Whatever gains there are, taxable, whatever losses they are, don't do you a lot of good. The important thing to keep track of is that shares were, both, were worth when they were distributed, transferred out from the IRA. That value becomes the new basis for determining the gain or loss in a future sale, except for where shares are held until death, where then the heirs receive a step up in basis and lending capital gain on lifetime appreciation. Let's take an example of this. If the original cost of stock purchased inside the IRA was $2, the value of the stock when transferred in kind to the brokerage was $10, well, the gain within the IRA, not recognized, in other words, had not been taxed yet, would be $8. If the value of the stock is sold later at 15 you have a gain on the sale of $5. So if Pam purchases AB stock, ABC stock in her IRA, share, years later, Pam needs to use that stock to leave, uh, take her R&D, which is 10 She transfers $10 of ABC shares to her taxable uh, non-IRA brokerage account. She's going to owe tax on that $10 to satisfy her $10 R&D for the year. That $10 value, though, becomes her basis for computing any future gain or loss. You should check to make sure that the brokerage account statement reflects that basis, $10 for Pam, and not the original $2 paid to the shares when you bought them within the IRA. So when somebody does that, you need to make sure they transfer that basis over at the new the new pricing. So the new buy slip cost of the shares is the value 
I reported on the Form 10NNR, the stock distribution. You should keep that 10NNR as a substitution for computing future gains or losses. And the holding period for long-term capital gains begins from the date of the distribution from the IRA, not the original date the shares were purchased. So years later, Pam sells the shares from her brokerage account for $15 a share. She reports a gain of $5 a share, which is the $15 selling price, less for $10 basis. The $10 value on the distribution date is Pam's basis, not the $2 that she originally paid for the stock when it was purchased in her IRA. And if Pam erroneously used that original $2 cost, she would end up reporting a gain of $13. The $15 selling price less $2 would equal that $13 gain, but that's going to result in over-reporting the gain by $8 a share. That $8 gain that occurred within the IRA was paid for when they paid that tax on the $10 upon distribution from the IRA. So tax reporting errors can work either one way or the other, uh, or the other way, too. If, say, the original cost of the IRA was higher than the eventual sale price, in that case, using the incorrect cost would result in under-reporting of the gain or an over-reporting of the loss on the sale. So market declines. Another misconception about market declines in RMDs is that the decrease in share value will mean lower RMDs. No, it won't. The amount of the 2022 RMD is already locked in based on the value of your IRA on December 31st of each year, in this case, December 31st of 2021. If values decline this year, the 2022 RMD doesn't change, but the percentage of IRA assets that have to be distributed to meet the RMD amount are going to be larger. Now, you don't have to worry about selling shares of stock in their IRA to take their RMD. Even if they don't have enough cash in their IRA, they can take their RMD, they can take their RMD of stock or in in kind distributions. However, if RMDs are taken in stock in a declining market, it's going to take more shares in order to satisfy that RMD. This is something we can do. We can calculate it out, but also make sure that you maintain good records of stock values and shares are distributed from the IRA in kind. Keep the 1099 as R as proof of the value of your IRA on that distribution date. It's down here with you with Wolf Lake Applies and KGMI. We'll be back in a minute. The City of Bellingham and their partner agencies are committed to protecting mobility for all on our city streets. This fall, please make a commitment to avoid distracted driving and travel with care to protect the students, pedestrians, and cyclists that are sharing the streets with you. I remember when dashing across the street was effortless. These days, my walking speed is, well, I'm doing my best to keep up with the little grandkids. So I'm thankful for the patient drivers who wait when I'm in the crosswalk. I still enjoy a good walk, especially when I know the drivers are watching out for me. You make Bellingham even better when you travel with care. Learn more about Bellingham's Travel with Care campaign by visiting the City of Bellingham online at cob.org and search for protecting mobility for all. Together with your help, we can keep everyone on our city streets safe. 
Why West Edge Credit Union? Because they're all about the community. Of course, I like that West Edge has low interest rates and loan specials. But what I really love is that West Edge partners with local nonprofit and City of Bellingham organizations. Plus, they put on events like Community Shred, and they talk to me like I'm a real person, not an account number. West Edge really cares. Join West Edge Credit Union today. West Edge is federally insured by NCUA. West Edge Credit Union, on the corner of James and Alabama in Bellingham. In the shop. Chip shortages, any components, the semiconductors, cause new vehicles not to be able to be produced. U.S. car production fell 23% in 2020. Yep. Steve from Panacea, Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. He was in having his oil change at the dealer, and they offered him more than he paid for the thing. 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to World Wake Up Live with Downey Huey for this Saturday morning on here in KGMI. Yeah, questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. And don't forget those Mariners tickets I have for next Wednesday night, Thursday night's game, a week from Monday, and the final game of the season, regular season, uh, on Wednesday, the uh, 5th of October. You can call us, it's 360-733-1200. I got four tickets in a parking pass. Okay, well, you get a market loss like this, sometimes it doesn't hurt to sit down and be fairly aggressive at taking your losses. And so, actually, we have a program. We've been running a number of comparisons for our clients, and and uh, because we moved a lot of money around earlier this year and got more conservative with it, we did generate some losses, for, uh, on paper at least, for those clients, or we recognize some of those losses. And so we are sitting there today calculating in what those losses might mean to them as far as their tax planning, their estimated tax payments. I had one client down in Arizona yesterday that uh, he sent me a tax return, and I was in communication with his accountant because in 21, we had generated some significant gains and some changes we had made in his portfolio. And, of course, he was paying estimates based on those changes that we made in 21 with these losses that we've taken in 22 made a fairly substantial change in this situation. And so uh, uh, tax loss harvesting is something to take a look at right now. And the last quarter of the year basically create those tax planning opportunities. But the rocky market, recent changes in tax law complicate those moves as we head towards December 31st. But it is important time to run that analysis it can make sense to make charitable contributions to, 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 to this time of year. Additional task box harvesting, family giving strategies, also funding irrevocable trusts, and so on. You know, the market's down this far, so far this year, and some capital loss opportunities may exist in our portfolios. Claiming those losses can not only offset other capital gains, but also create a capital loss carryover to offset capital gains in the future. You know, if you want to keep those lost stocks in the portfolios, then maybe we should consider selling them, but then buying them back 31 days later in order to avoid the wash sale rules. And harvesting losses can be used in different ways, a variety that can become important as the calendar runs out. 
you can offset up to $3,000 of ordinary income. And depending on the amount of losses, you can eliminate or at least reduce capital gains already realized in the current year. Under current tax code, realized losses can be carried forward and can be used in subsequent years. Whatever tax benefit you don't realize now, you're still going to be able to use it later. But, you know, sometimes the last quarter is, is the time. But certainly this year with the market volatility we've had, people should be looking to sell their losers and basically replacing them. Um, the uh, career year-end moves that we mentioned, uh, for example, one of the others is a Roth IRA conversion for those who think that they'll be in a higher tax bracket in the future. Uh, so if you've got a decline in the IRA value this year, and it works as a way that in your income uh, situation for us to do a Roth conversion, maybe something to sit down and calculate it out. You also have the $16,000 per recipient gift tax exclusion that you can use if you transfer wealth over time. And though it doesn't reduce the current tax bill in the current year, but giving gifting $16,000 per recipient plus 15 and 16000 this year, and then also a tax saving uh, qualified charitable uh, distribution or QCDs in the IRS, which we talk about a lot because we can process a ton of those in our office. And regarding making out, taking contributions out of retirement plans, um, it's good to note that the effectiveness of this strategy is predicated on distributions from those plans occurring when the investor is or eventually in a lower tax bracket. This approach will depend on what the adjusted gross income of the investor is at the time and further assumes that merger marginal tax rates are relatively similar to what they are in the current day. And making those assumptions, of course, we never know exactly where we're going to be working at as far as where the tax laws are going to be. We know that the pump tax cuts expire in a couple of years. So we have to work on the assumption that probably in the future we will see higher rates. We know that the government has a tendency to spend more money than they have coming in. The solution for that is to raise tax rates, as we're all so much aware. Okay, let's also talk about planning for your future self. You know, most people don't plan for their own futures. Uh, they may think about things that they might have to do tomorrow. They may worry about the future of the environment or the world, but most of them don't imagine where or who they want to be in the next five or ten years. They haven't imagined basically their future self. It's not just the young who don't want to think about who will be tomorrow. Research shows that the older you are, the less you think about your future. And the more you think about your future, the better off you'll likely be. Better off means that you have improved financial security, you have better relationships, and you have improved well-being all around. So imagine getting all that good stuff by simply shifting your mindset and refocusing your attention from the immediate to the long term. That's the key to retirement success, but it's only the first step. You know, the past is not the future. Looking at the past isn't going to help, since assuming the next 10 years will play out like the last 10 years is illogical and, frankly, defeatist. The idea leads to passive thinking. In fact, there are many paths that we could have taken in the past that got us to where we are today, and the same holds for the future. Luck plays a part in everyone's fate, good or bad. Even in the past 10 years, we're good. You don't have to follow the same map. There are many paths that you can follow going forward. 
So a lot of life is where you choose to be. Of course, there are no guarantees. Of course, making a plan doesn't guarantee that you'll end up exactly where you intend to be. But if you imagine it and plan for it, odds are you'll get closer to that goal than if you had never tried at all. And the span starts basically with vision, an idea about, about desired goals. To reinforce the point, if you don't expect much, you won't do much. If you just live day by day without a thought for the future, you won't bother to exercise or play, try to stay healthy. You may not work at fostering good relationships with colleagues, friends, or family, and you may certainly won't plan well for your financial needs. Basically, the recipe is a disaster. The first, so the first knowing is what you want the future to look like. What kind, what, what kind of life do you want? It's actually a question that a lot of people have trouble answering. But how they, how they want people to describe them at their 80th birthday or even at their funeral means the concept of who they want to be and be more concrete. The more detailed the vision for the future, the easier it is to realize what that future may be. Retirement doesn't mean an end to purposeful living. In the, to the end of dreams and goals, they may reap the harvest of your working career, but you should still be thinking about the next season in life when you want to replant it and reharvest. The final pillar is why. People say the retirement, they want to be comfortable living for few demands, deep freedom to do what they want. But they should also think about the meaning of their future life as well. Why do they want to achieve these things? This gets to the heart of the long-term plan. The only thing, way people make and stick with their decision is to have an emotional attachment to it. That must be an emotional connection. So closing the gap between then and now, how do we close the gap? Well, where you are and where you want to be, this is the transformation gap. Without a system for taking action, you're never going to get that gap and reach your goals. You know, it's easy to get stuck in a messy middle, and it's important to realize change takes time, especially changes that have meaning and that lasts. The biggest roadblock to getting out of the rut is a mix of self-doubt and skepticism. For instance, insist that they are too old to change. So being a coach, this is where coaches can help. A good retirement coach can help you with every step of the process. Coaches can clarify their client's grand vision for the future, remove emotional banners for the blocking their willingness to change, and fashion an action plan that they'll stick to. But retirement coaching is not one and done thing. You don't hire a fitness coach for one season. Likewise, if you're not, unless you're not, if you don't want success. So the more intentional you are about things, the more you achieve, the less you're going to waste. So anyway, this has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here at KGMI Saturday morning. I want to thank you for being with us as usual. Don't forget our Sunday show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. We'll have some interesting market data to update us on, as well as a report on the Federal Reserve meeting that took place this week. And, uh, of course, the three-quarters of a percent interest rate hike that came with it. And don't forget, I have those Mariners tickets for that last homestand. If you're interested, give me a call. I'll get back to you Monday. So thanks and have a great week.
The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.